From Nashville, Tennessee, this is The Pivot, stories of people who've made a change. Welcome to The Pivot. I'm Andrew Osinga. My guest today is Steve Taylor. I have been a fan of Steve Taylor since I was a kid. He's been making records slightly longer than I've been alive. Um, What a talented guy. Uh, Songwriter, artist, film director, uh, and now professor. Uh, So many different things this guy has done and excelled at all of them. Uh, You should know that this recording... Uh, was done in the office that he and Charlie Peacock share at the university where they both work now. And uh, we were sitting in the control room of a studio, a recording studio, and just across the glass uh, there was a band rehearsing, like Fish, Grateful Dead style. Um, And somehow these microphones did not pick up the band that was so loud to us. I thought this was going to be unusable, uh, but it, it's not. It sounds great. And, um, man, it was so fun to sit with Steve, uh, just a hero of mine. What amazing stories. I could just listen to this dude tell stories all day. Uh, so uh, here is my conversation with Steve Taylor. This is amazing. I, nice, I can't yeah. wait to ask you more. Yeah. I recognize that desk from. Oh, do you? <laughs> yeah, I'd made a couple records on that desk <laughs> back in the day. Right. Um, okay. Well, so this podcast is about. It's called the pivot. It's about people making career changes or vocational changes, or just passion changes, essentially. And your, I texted you about it, and your response was classic, which was I wrote down um, on the wrong piece of paper. Uh, you said switching careers is one of my few specialties, which I just thought was wonderful. <laughs> um, right. and I, okay. So I've been a fan of yours. I've been a fan when I was like in high school, loved your records. And then, you know, we, we travel in similar circles. So I've right. gotten to know you a little bit over the last few years and, uh, and just remain a fan together. We did. I know That's we played right. speed scrabble in Canada. <laughs> you are a master you are the master. I'm just going to come out and say it. You were, like that was astounding. That's maybe one of the only things that I'm good at. Speed <laughs> right. Well, I don't. I don't believe that. But I'm actually the one good thing. I'm. Uh, I, I claim uh, proficiency is parallel parking. Um, and in fact, that's no small. That's no small thing. And I, I'm not saying if if there was an Olympics for parallel parking, I'm not saying I would take home the gold. But I'm pretty sure I would medal. So. <laughs> Okay, well, I wondered if if you could, maybe to start, fill in the gaps. I think I, I I was thinking on the way over here. I think I could list, from what I know of you, five different careers that you've had. Right. Yeah. I don't know if that's accurate. I'm curious what you would, what how you would answer yeah, that right. question. Well, I just realized I never sat down and added it up. But I started off as a, a janitor, and um, and a, a a darn good one, I think, um, <laughs> while I was going to college. Uh, and while I was a janitor, I was a custodian at my church, mm-hmm. um, and I was also the youth pastor. So I had like a like a double double job yeah. uh, while I was going to school. And uh, 
and youth pastoring was something that I I could have seen myself doing for a while. I did it for five years. Um, really? Yeah. So, uh, you know, in retrospect, there's a lot of things I would have done differently. I, I wasn't a, a, a bad youth pastor. I just, now that's almost like a specialty that you go to college for that. Yeah. And it really wasn't back it was then. It's just but, kind of a thing you yeah, ended up doing. Yeah, I have a lot of admiration for good youth pastors. But, uh, you know, I was, I, I cared certainly and, yeah. and, and, and wanted to uh, teach them well. And, um, you know, a lot of that is just keeping keeping them engaged. Mm-hmm. But I was also going to college at the University of Colorado in Boulder, which was a, a very, like, almost cartoonishly uh, progressive mm-hmm. environment. Yeah. And so um, while I'm doing that, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm thinking, well, you know, I want to make sure that what I'm teaching my kids actually prepares them for living mm-hmm. an environment like this. Yeah. And, and uh, so that was, um, that was kind of career one. And then when I got out of college, uh, I had a degree in uh, music and a, like a filmmaking minor. Hmm. And so I thought at that point, uh, well, I could, I suppose, try to be a filmmaker now and then try to use my music degree uh, mm-hmm. later, but it'd probably be better if I was a, in a rock band now and then a filmmaker later. Pe- and, people uh, like seeing older guys <laughs> in rock bands. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't then. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, so that was how I got into music at first. Yeah. Is, um, as a recording artist and um, uh, and I kept one foot in filmmaking just initially doing my own music videos yeah. and then getting hired to do them for other people and but the the goal was eventually to get into into filmmaking that was always your goal yeah yeah really yeah I mean I wasn't I wasn't unhappy about being a musician I like having a band and traveling and all the things that came yeah. along with that but I just couldn't see myself doing that as a 50 year old not that there's anything I mean there's a lot of good people that do it oh sure but it's like you have to how do I how do I put this you, you let's just say the kind of music I was interested in uh, I'm trying to think of uh, there are who are like who are like punk rock people that are still doing oh. punk rock in their 50s or I'm, 60s. I think Anthrax is probably still playing, <laughs> well, yeah, like right? Anthrax. So they're like on the metal side, like don't you oh, feel... That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. It's a little... It just looks a little silly maybe to be in your 50s. Well, like Kiss. Let's, yeah. let's just and go And we know the, what that audience looks yeah. like. We know who's going to yes, the shows right, right now. Right, right, It's guys that... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so if you're ki- if you're Kiss <laughs> and you're putting on makeup at a- at age sixty five and yeah. doing, you know, I mean, more maybe more forgiving spandex, people might like, yeah, yeah, right. But didn't you feel a little silly? Wouldn't, wouldn't you every night? Like, like you know, did I take a wrong turn somewhere? I mean, yes, I'm yeah. sure they're making making good money, but that's not, so uh, are doctors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But so you- see, I went to the cartoon version of that, <laughs> where there's all kinds of good examples of it. You know. Well, but but most I don't. You you knew this at twenty five, right? I don't think many artists are thinking. No one I've ever talked to at twenty five or twenty was like, "Well, this is going to run its course." <laughs> right. It's just like this is the thing I have to do 
screw everybody, this is what I have to do. Right, right. But you've always had that in your mind. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's probably true. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, but how long were you, how long were you a, was, was making music your primary vocation? That really was, uh, it was like a 1982, I think was when I recorded the first album, and it was up until, really until I started the record label, around, mm -hmm. it was about a 15 year span. That, that you were an active artist? Yes. And then you were you produced a bunch, wrote a bunch for people, right? And I probably start I started becoming a producer, right? Uh, I mean, I'd always m more or less produce the albums I was m making, yeah. And then um, uh, or co-produced them in some cases, uh, but then uh, it was actually Newsboys that their uh, record label head uh, asked me if I'd be interested in helping out with some lyrics and. Uh, Hmm. And I liked the song and um, uh, liked the band and agreed that they needed help with lyrics. That was true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but I liked it. But they, they were kind of ready to. They were kind of ready to make a pivot mm -hmm. as a band. The, the stuff they'd done prior wasn't particularly interesting in, in my mind. Um, but this these kind of new demos were were good. And so yeah. I pitched them on what if I produced this as well. And um, and so we did a track and then pitched it to the label as. I'd like to work with a band and yeah. produce the whole album. And so that kind of started me uh, producing a lot more. Yeah. And how long, how, what season, how, how long were you producing yeah, records? So I was producing while I was a recording artist still. Okay. But I, that was probably a good seven or eight year span. I mean, most people don't just casually produce records for a little while. I mean, that's a thing. Right. You, you, did you, do you feel like you kind of ended up in, in it? Yeah. I, I, I backed into it a bit, and uh, after the Newsboys became successful, got other offers, and really the reason I started a record label was because uh, Sixpence on the Richer wanted me to produce their album, and it's a long story, but uh, that was what started the... Yeah. How many careers are we at now? I don't are we counting a janitor? Okay, we count, if we count the janitor, then yeah. we've got your solo artist, then your record producer, uh, so that's three. Oh yeah, youth pastor. So that's, that's so that's three, and then producer is four, four. and then so the record label and then you start a record label five, yeah, which goes on to have like a massive worldwide hit, right? With Kiss Me, right? Which uh, I know I've asked you this, these questions other times, but uh, um, but having a massive hit that was the first record you did as your own on your own record company, right? Yes, yes, right, yes. And I know it wasn't an immediate hit; it was a couple years later. <laughs> it took a while. But that hit, I mean, that was massive. Was that, did that feel successful or did that feel, when you're in it, does that right. feel successful? I mean, a lot of it was a blast. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you were, I was working primarily within uh, Christian and gospel yeah. music. And, um, uh, and part of my frustration, uh, I, took a, I took a break and... Um, as a solo artist, decided to essentially retire in uh, after five years doing it, and mm. that's when I started uh, joined a, a band. Oh yeah, Chicago Chicago Guevara Bear. got signed to MCA, and with, our goal was well, let's just let's just let's make a band. You know, all of the bandmates were fellow Christians, but mm -hmm. our goal is not to be signed to a Christian label. We want to yeah. sign to a mainstream label. We don't. We're not going to use that as part of our marketing. 
um, this is going to be a really good band. And so, uh, so that's what got me to Nashville. I was living in LA. Two of us moved to mm. Nashville to, to, to start the band with some other Nashvillians. And a lot of that experience was really good. And of course, being signed to a mainstream label, that kind of showed me a lot of how that side of the music business mm. worked. And, um, uh, but the band ultimately was not successful. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, uh, in fact, we were so desperate to get off of MCA. As unsuccessful as we are, we were way more successful than all, the, all their other unsuccessful oh, rock bands. No. So they really wanted us to do another album. And we were like, no, there's no way we're doing another album for you. So we were just kind of sitting it out, which is actually why I got into producing is because that's when the, okay. the guy from Newsboys record label contacted me and I wasn't doing anything else. And you probably so weren't like, allowed to go record another record. No, so we were frozen. Yeah. Yeah. So that... That was a kind of a backdoor way into film, uh, into production as well. Yeah. Um, huh. Okay. But it was after the. Uh, what were we talking about? Um, oh, the, then you. The what led of, to starting to starting Squid. right? So, uh, so Sixpence approached me about producing their album. Sounds great. The only thing that made me nervous is usually I like to work with bands who are. Uh, coming off of not very good albums because I can only look better that way. And Sixpence had made two really oh, good man, albums. Oh, so good. <laughs> yeah. So good. So that was that was problematic, but I yeah. you know, overcame my fears. And um, and then their record label went bankrupt. They were on an indie label oh, that's and right. went bankrupt. And so um, so it was like, well, that's all, that's all right. You know, we'll start work doing pre-production. We'll wait mm -hmm. for it to see how it all shakes out. The, the, per, the, the label that brought, that came on and essentially absorbed this bankrupt label, they were like terrible. It was like some lawyer in Chicago who uh, I, he might as well have been twirling his mustache, right? He was just a really, <laughs> a relief. I'm probably, you know, probably violating some terms of uh, non-disclosure or something, but um, yeah, I don't he, know, don't they get specific <laughs> about facial hair? They yeah. probably do, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, so he came down to, uh, to Nashville from Chicago uh, to meet with the band and take their truly horrific contract that they'd been signed mm. under with the independent label, and um, and sat sat them down around the conference room in their Nashville office, and I the band just asked me to come along, so I'm sitting at the other end of the table, and he starts going through their contract, and I'm assuming that he's going to say, look, this is a terrible contract, obviously we're not going to hold you to these terms, yeah. we're going to renegotiate something you know, that's more favorable and, you know, get started on a good flip. Instead, he just went through every, invoked every, every ridiculous clause of the contract. Oh, At one no. point, Lee, the lead singer, she gasped, like, and, and uh, it's like, you know, he was just a bad dude. And so, and at the end of the conversation, he looks at me and says, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> I said, I'm just friends of the band. So, um, so, so the you're not gets the manager dismissed. or the producer, no, that's I'm what, just you're just friend there. of the band. The meeting gets dismissed. We go to the parking lot. The bass player actually breaks down and starts sobbing in the parking lot. Um, the band's, of course, totally deflated. And so uh, I said, uh, okay, here's the plan. We're going to the Pancake Pantry. And so we, uh, we went to the Nashville's famous Pancake Pantry. Uh, everybody ordered breakfast. And I said, look, I don't know how this is going to work, but we're just going to make the record. I said, I'll figure out a way to pay for it. You, you know, you're going to break up as a band because you've lost the joy of making music. So we're just going to yeah. make the record. We'll figure out. We'll figure it out. You know, something will happen. And so uh, we started making the record. We, we rented out a, a, a studio that was uh, defunct um, hmm. on the back of Music Row 
on an alley, and it was right next door to the Nashville headquarters of this evil empire that had just no. invoked. Right. No. And we made the album the whole time. They had no idea that we were there making the album. So under you're sort their of nose. opening the door just a little bit, <laughs> yeah, looking, looking out, both ways. sneaking to the car. <laughs> and so, um, uh, and then at the end of that, you know, we had the album done. Obviously, the band doesn't know what's going to happen next. They don't really trust anybody. So I started the record label just to give them a home to. Uh, just give them a home and was eventually able to got funding and was able to you know make some kind of a settlement with the evil empire and uh uh and then it all turned out really well yeah so, so that that career was not planned either but it was um one it was of necessity and two i felt like uh um there were all these bands within uh christian music that uh, needed to be heard by a bigger audience, but yeah. they weren't going to get the chance if they were signed to a Christian label. And so that kind of became like our MO. Yeah. Um, Sixpence was the first, and then um, we had Burlap to Cashmere. Oh, yeah. Um, we're Man, a what fantastic a band. band. Uh, there's a band Chevelle, Three Brothers out of Chicago, mm-hmm. a rock band. Uh, we signed Waterdeep. Um, yeah. We were fantastic. And uh, um, uh, yeah, it went, it went really well for for the first three years and then um <laughs> you know mo money mo problems so i literally had that in my notes <laughs> i said you guys had a huge hit right was it in the parlance of the times <laughs> mo money mo problems it is exactly that <laughs> um it's i mean i'm more philosophical about it now mm-hmm. but um uh, i can say to anybody i started that label with all the right for all the right reasons yeah. and kept it going for all the right reasons but it doesn't a, a, an enterprise like that doesn't easily exist within certainly the music business of the time yeah for one the deals we were making were substantially more generous than they could have gotten anywhere um uh based on a philosophical belief that you've been an artist you know yeah, what that right. feels like it's like what's the what's the deal i would want to make yeah and so um so that made made things difficult, and frankly, for other labels, because they're like, well, other artists, well, well you know, they're doing this, why can't you do yeah. this? And then the success that we had made that difficult for other labels, because, well, how come they, they can go to radio and you can't? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then the, uh, uh, the, within kind of the, even within the kind of music row establishment, um, you just get, you know, you just get all these hangers on all of a sudden mm-hmm. coming and managers and people had nothing to do with the band's success who were just glomming onto it. And, you know, I'm trying to swat them away. Like, don't, don't screw this up. You know, like we're doing this for, for good reasons. But yeah. It's just, it's just really hard. You know, if anybody doesn't believe in the concept of original sin, they need to need to run a record label. <laughs> just a record. So, um, uh, Oh my goodness! And, and I'm sure at this point you had a staff, you had an office. A staff, right? But I, I mean, mean, we really, you know, I, I was a believer in putting the money where it counted. So mm-hmm. we worked out of very small offices, and you know, in four years, it was always used furniture and uh, trying to keep expenses as low as possible. And um, but obviously, going to pop radio costs real money for promotion, money, yeah. and so uh, and it, and it just becomes difficult at a certain point to. Uh, uh, to 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 keep 
the focus when you know i'm now dealing with uh licensing requests out of turkey and you know uh you know someone wants yeah. the band to come to you know do an asian it's just there were so many things going on and uh and we had a really good staff but um uh it it just got crazy yeah yeah so how so did the fourth that, year yeah. was not fun at all the fourth year and how many years were there it's four years okay. yeah <laughs> so how did that how do you leave a company that you did you sell yeah. it? Well, it it uh, I was trying to. That, that's a long story too, but sure. it existed within uh, Gaylord Entertainment. They put the money up for okay. it, and uh, it was a the people I was working with were great. It was essentially like a handshake deal. It's mm-hmm. like if you give us the money, um, all I need is freedom to run things. Yeah, and so uh, and that's you know they were really great and did exactly what they said, and then. Oh man, the CEO of Gaylord left or got pushed out, and he brought in some new guy to run entertainment. And the new guy, you know, brought me in, and I just assumed I was, you know, impervious to any anything. <laughs> and he wanted to. We signed a. We just signed a, a hip hop collective, LA Symphony. Oh yeah, I was so man, excited about man. that, and you know, that was going to be our our next big push. And he said, uh, he said, so when I get, when do I get to hear the demos? And I said, uh, I'm sorry, the what? He said, because he was like a country music guy. He said, when do I get to hear the, the demos for your hip-hop group? I said, uh, well, if you're a big hip-hop fan, you're happy to, I'm happy to have you listen to him, but you must not understand that, you know, that's not how this deal works. <laughs> I'm not coming to you to ask for permission to sign, you know, a band or yeah. get your take on what songs you like or don't like. That's that's not how this works, yeah. right? And uh, he evidently didn't agree and put the record label up for sale the next day. You're kidding. No, right. You and were then, kidding. No, and then his CFO, <laughs> and the CFO, and, and, he, and, they, they, and they made a, uh, their only requirement was is anybody could buy it except me. So I was actually, I, even if I had had the money, I couldn't buy my own You're label. You're kidding. No, it was a terrible situation. It was, it was ridiculous. Oh, so, my gosh. What ended up happening, I'll try to make this short, uh, big idea, the VeggieTales people were friends, yeah. and uh, they found out what was going on, and, and this uh, the entity was also distributing all of VeggieTales. So my friends at VeggieTales said, well, this is outrageous. Uh, we'll partner with Steve to buy his label back, and um, they could say no to me, but they couldn't say no to VeggieTales because they had mm-hmm. too much power within the system. So we we tried like spent nine months trying to put this deal together and it kept taking longer and longer and it's like why is this taking so long? And in the meantime, I'm funding like a third of our operating budget. Oh my gosh! And Big Idea is funding the other two thirds and so I'm th- I'm thinking well I know Big Idea will never pull out because they've got you know mm-hmm. twice as much money invested as I do, and and it turned out that they were <laughs> they were in trouble. Oh no! So Big Idea ended up going bankrupt and the whole thing imploded and that was it. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so the end of the record label and all of this starts because you care about these artists yeah, and you right. want to help them right, make really. just make some good songs I really did like you know <laughs> i mean i was i i have a totally clear conscience about the whole thing because i know mm-hmm. i know how relatively little i paid myself in all this and how mm-hmm. you know most people in that situation would have would have carved out publishing rights of the bands they signed oh, and yeah. i did none of that and you know i i took a, a relatively small uh uh, um, points for even for things that I produced, um, 
uh, yeah, it was just, you know, the music business is, uh, I think it was, uh, as one uh, famous author said, is a, uh, what does he say, a long, you might want to edit this out because I won't get the quote right. <laughs> it's like a, a cruel muddy pit where uh, thieves run wild and good men die like dogs. Uh, there's also a negative side. <laughs> that was Hunter Thompson, I think, that said that. But, um, uh, yeah, and it was also an experience that I had where, um, you know, anybody who told me at the time, well, you know, uh, that their experience in Christian music was was worse than dealing with major labels. Mm-hmm. You know, my thought and was, well, you, you, had... really, you really haven't dealt with major labels. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call you on that right now. I don't believe that. It's just people. <laughs> right. Wow. It is, yeah. But so anyway. what, okay, so... That's you've put all this time, all this money. Yes. Then it's gone. Well, yeah. And then that, what? And I didn't see that one coming. So this, this change, whatever you do next, this is not you deciding to make some change. This is, oh crap! Right. I got to find something else to do. I got a family. Yes. I mean, you know, I wasn't. It's not like I was desperately poor at the time because but, I'd produced things and sure. written a lot of songs, and so I had a, you know, a, essentially my trust fund is my was my royalty yeah. stream, um, but. Uh, the when I started Squint, um, the label, I also had uh, funding to do my first film. Oh, really? Yes. Same so deal? the plan was, inside the same deal, hmm. and the plan was uh, to make this movie, uh, you know, while I was running the label, which was a bad idea just because I, I had no idea how all-consuming running a record label would be. Hmm. But um, we did finish the screenplay over the next uh, three years. And uh, um, and when we finally finish the screenplay, you know, the first thing you do is you do a table reading. You bring mm-hmm. actors in and you get them around the table and uh, pass out the scripts and give everyone their parts and let them take it from there. And then I just sit back and, and listen to see mm-hmm. what's working and what's not working. And at the end of this table read for my first script, I worked on it with a couple of friends. Um, at the end, I realized that this, this movie... Uh, is unfilmable, and if I did film it, it would be unwatchable. No. <laughs> so, oh, no. it's like you know, everybody's polite, but I know that well, yeah. we have nothing here. Like, I, I don't even know how to fix this. This is, you know, whatever I thought we were making, there is not. <laughs> we got nothing. Oh so, um, so then it was like, uh, and around, and, and not too long after that, the label imploded, mm-hmm. and um, and in fact. I sacrificed the money for the label to make sure that one of the bands that I promised would get a, a release. They kind of the the higher ups kind of you know uh, said, "Okay, you can either you can either give up this the money to make this movie, or, or mm-hmm. we're not going to let you release this album that I promised we'd get released." So I we released oh, the album. Man. But honestly, but at the end of the day, you the didn't want to make that record. Yeah, I wasn't going to make it anyway. Movie. <laughs> so uh, so uh, so now that the labels imploded it's like well now i get i now i get a chance to become a filmmaker that i wanted to mm-hmm. be and um and now i know what not to do so uh uh i went back to thinking okay well what is it that i know because the first mm-hmm. project had been like a kind of a postmodern fairy tale and it was going to have stop motion animation which we're already working on and um which was the one part of the movie that would have looked good um <laughs> and uh but uh 
you know, this it was it was just frankly it was just a movie that was way past my skill set. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't ready to take on something like that. What do I know? Well, I grew up in a church. My dad was a pastor. What if I created like a kind of a black and white uh, buddy movie? Uh, genre, but it's set in the world of two churches, a, 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 a big suburban church and a, a, a inner city, smaller, like church in the hood. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so wrote that script with a couple of friends. We did the table reading and at the end of the table reading, it was like, oh yeah, this is how it's supposed to work. This is actually, there's a movie here. Yeah. And so, huh. uh, uh, one of my co-writers, uh, Ben Pearson, a longtime mm-hmm. friend and collaborator, he, I knew Michael W. Smith, but Ben was close friends with him, and he said, I think Michael's always wanted to do a movie. And so, you know, we spent a day with him kind of going through scenes, and Michael would probably be the first to say that he's not a uh, he's not a born actor, but I was just looking for him to be able to play some kind of version of himself. Yeah. And, uh, and at the end of the day, it's like, I, th- I think he can do this. And so because he was attached, we uh, were able to get the money to make that one relatively quickly. Hmm. And... Um, and you know it turned out reasonably well. Yeah, and got a deal with uh, uh, Sony. They did. They did a uh, their first. It was kind of their first. Uh, I think kind of venture into kind of a faith based movie, and um, uh, and it got a, a decent theatrical release and was not a hit in theaters. Did okay, but the DVD sold like half a million copies. So no it way. was a big, a big hit. And um, uh, and then came the. The next movie, uh, Blue Light Jazz, which mm-hmm. is a, a really long process, and uh, yeah, uh, which, which as a book seems unfilmable, but you turned right, it yes. into a movie. Yes, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, so you don't put that book down and think, "Oh, I see that movie in my head." But uh, I'm just <laughs> not a lot of car chase scene. scenes. Yeah, in yeah, that not, one, yeah. A, not a lot of explosions. But uh, there was a, a famous scene that takes place in a confession booth on campus. At, mm-hmm. You know, where it takes place in Reed College, and it's like, man, I want to. I want to see that in a movie. And so my pitch to Don Miller, the author was let's, uh, I want to make this a movie. I want to end it with the confession booth scene. Um, uh, and, but I think it, you know, I think your character, uh, needs to be a, 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 a young college student who lives the experience. And, um, he was all in and, uh, uh, and that weekend, the prior movie, The Second Chance, was opening. So mm-hmm. I met him on a Thursday, I think, and then he saw it that weekend in Portland and called me up on uh, Monday and really liked the movie and said, you know, let's do this. But he said, could I, you think I could work with you on the screenplay? And uh, in almost any scenario like that, the answer is no, mm-hmm. you can't, because that's a bad idea, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to take your book and essentially we're going to, you know, pull some things from it. But we're not going to stay, it's not going to be a strict rendition of the book, nor would it be. And it's really a bad idea typically when it's a memoir because the author is Like, you can't change that, that's my mom. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's right. Well, we proved that wrong. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) but, uh, uh, But Don sort of intuitively understood that that would be needed. Yeah. And he was like, you know... I understand, but I I just think I'd, I'd like to be a part of the process. I think it sounds like fun. And, of course, now I'm thinking, well, is he, you know, he doesn't have to sign the rights over to me if he if I, if I don't say yes. So I said, well, okay, let's do this. Um, you go to a seminar on screenwriting and uh, hmm. Robert McKee's story seminar, really well known. Uh, and that will at least give you a vocabulary for 
what we're going to be doing. Yeah. And at least this way, at least you'll understand why we're, we're going to need to change a lot of things in the book in order to make it work. He went to the seminar. He loved it. And, uh, and then Ben uh, Pearson and I flew out to Portland and we started working with Don on turning it into a, a screenplay. And um, during the process, he started uh, re kind of editing his own life and the way he lived and, hmm. you know, just making more interesting life choices and actually turned the process of making Blue Light Jazz into a screenplay, turned that into his next bestseller called A Million Miles in a Thousand mm-hmm. Years, which was, um, you know, all about him editing his life while we were writing writing the Blue Light Jazz screenplay. And uh, uh, so now, you know, the the screenplay is essentially based on two New York Times bestsellers and we still can't get funding for it because it's... It's not a family movie, right? Yeah, it's a it's, it's a faith based film that's not got Kirk Cameron. That's right, right. Yeah, and, it's not. Yeah, it's, yeah. Twelve steps to something, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was like almost four years of of fundraising trying to get the really? movie funded, and we just were just not successful. We finally got just enough to. Oh, a, a, a great guy in, in the Seattle area was going to put in half a million dollars and then a guy in L.A. was going to put in another quarter million. And so at least we had enough to get the movie shot, mm-hmm. which you're never supposed to do. You know, you, you, you need to have all the money to finish it. But I'm like, I, I can't wait any longer. So to shoot it, that doesn't mean editing it no, or marketing it, any it of that or stuff. any of that. Right. Just That's literally. That's how desperate I am after four years. Mm-hmm. And plus we were going to, our, our lead actor, Marshall Allman, had to go back to work on True Blood uh, that fall after Thanksgiving, so we only had a, a, a narrow window, and um, so I just said, "But well, we're making the movie." And then, like the night before we were going to open the production office, the guy in LA drops out. So now we can't make the movie. We definitely don't have enough money to shoot it now. What? So I called Don with the bad news, and he'd been really patient for almost four years of me saying, "Well, we're going to get this made," and at this point. He understandably just thought, you know, this is never going to happen. He blogs about it, which, you know, he loved to do, <laughs> saying the movie's dead, sorry. And then all these people started writing back saying, you got to make this movie, you know, with, uh, we've been waiting for this, it's important. You know, I don't have any money, but I'll give you 25 bucks or mm-hmm. I'll get my friends together. We could pool and give you 100 bucks. And two guys in Franklin, Tennessee, they actually sent us a little video and they said, we don't have any money, but we really want to see this made. What if you did a crowdfunding campaign? And this is before anybody knew what crowdfunding was, right? Kickstarter was maybe six months old. This story. Yeah, right. And uh, so they kind of presented their idea. I went down to to meet them in Franklin. They were young, uh, kind of early 20s, very idealistic, very, in my mind, naive at how all this worked. And they uh, showed me their plan. And I'd done some research, you know, in, in, in the few days between and... I said, you know, I love this idea of a crowdfunding a project, and I like Kickstarter's basic idea, but at this point, Kickstarter was brand new, and mm. I said, you know, the most any movies raise is like $50,000, and we got to have a quarter of a million in 30 days, so we can't make the movie. And they said, well, so what's your idea? And I didn't have one. <laughs> so we launched the Worry. Save Blue Light Jazz campaign, and, and it it became the biggest crowdfunded project in history at that point. Really? It was, it was, it was a, a huge success and raised like $345,000 in 30 days. And uh, I think that if you ask the Kickstarter people, the founders, they would probably say, yep, 
the Blue Light Jazz campaign was when we realized, oh, I think we got something here. Hmm. You know, $2 billion later. <laughs> they, yeah, wild. Um, so that was a great experience. And, you know, and we got to make the movie that I w- that it was hoping we could make. And, uh, and it got picked up by the South by Southwest Film Festival and hmm. got a theatrical release with Roadside Attractions, which is a great experience. And, um, uh, yeah, it was just a, you know, it was a good, it was a good, uh, a good experience all the way around. And, working with Don and yeah man so that was how many careers are we up to now okay so that's six yeah I think that's six yeah so that that was what seven or eight years that ago been, it came out in yeah five years ago five years ago yeah. okay so what have you been doing since then so when that when the project uh finished um uh uh I was assuming that it was going to be uh a bigger hit than it became, and because um, I the only I way I was like going to get had paid. that thought in my life a lot of times. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> We've had that, yeah. that experience with our wives. Um, I I just I I was at I was at the you know I desperately wanted to make the movie, so I didn't mm-hmm. take any salary or anything. I just wanted to get it made. But and how much time did you spend? It was on like it? seven years. Oh my so goodness! So I was essentially taken, you know. Independent movie making is not for the faint of heart, mm-hmm. and uh, there are a few exceptions. But most people that make independent movies either have a trust fund, or they have. And my trust fund is my royalty stream from mm-hmm. you know writing songs and producing hit albums. And yeah. So, um, uh, so that royalty stream not only was keeping us going, but I kept doing what you're not supposed to do, which is using my own money to help fund all this stuff too. Mm-hmm. So. Um, uh, so it, it, when it became obvious that, you know, I wasn't going to make any money at all off blue light jazz. And, um, cause I was at the kind of the tail end of, of, and, and hap- happily so, yeah. like, I'm not complaining at all. Um, but it's like, wow, I gotta, I gotta figure out kind of the next, the next step here. And, uh, and I love, I love making movies and working in film, but uh, next time I gotta I gotta do this differently. I can't hmm. I can't self fund. Um, and the problem is, is if you don't want to do that, essentially you're going around with every screenplay. It is asking somebody, hey, do you like me? And would you want to do this? And do you like me? You know? <laughs> Half a million dollars, like me? <laughs> right, yeah. right. And and you got to be happy with someone else. You know, if a studio gives you the money, it's their project. Yeah, and that just didn't sound like fun. So, uh, so I thought, well, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to go ahead and get a grad degree in filmmaking, fill in some of the knowledge gaps that I've only learned by doing. But you know, there's stuff you don't learn when you don't study it hmm. deliberately. And uh, but as I checked out projects or or. or uh, grad programs it was either be new york or la or yeah chicago uh and yeah the family so and you guys have been here for we've been here at that point we've been here almost 30 years wow. so it's starting to feel like home so <laughs> um so we were at lipscomb university which you know when we first moved here we lived across the street from hmm. uh pitch me on we're thinking about starting a grad program would you want to come on and and essentially run it for us while you take the classes and you could get your degree and you know 
we'd love to have you making stuff for us as a filmmaker in residence and you can teach some classes and it was just like a too good of an opportunity to pass up so wow. that's been career seven while I've I mean I'm still actively working making film and you mm-hmm. know went back and did another few albums as well mm-hmm. but uh, the nice thing about uh, being at a university is they want you to keep making stuff and yeah. you know doing other things while you're while so you're working so you, they hired you to start a grad program yeah. that you attended yeah, while right. you built right right <laughs> so i'm hiring professors that are going that i'm going to be taking their classes which it's going to be hard for a professor to flunk the guy that gave you the job Dude, that is so amazing i tried not to take advantage of that but uh um like that that the, that's the picture to me of my kids in my basement building a house out of legos that they're going to sleep in it yeah, so that they're pretty just much <laughs> right yeah that's amazing so did you get a graduate degree i got my mfa so All right. i'm a master of fine arts um, well, congratulations and uh who handed you a diploma it was the well yeah no that's the the president of the uh, university so all right yeah, had the cap and gown and everything amazing yeah that's fantastic so what what is your so he, now you're here where right. I live now, you run this program. Are you you're teaching classes? Are you making? Yes. So uh, so like we just finished a um, a sitcom pilot. Oh wow! Uh, one of the distinctives about this program, which I uh, like a lot, is uh, the guy who is now the dean of the College of Entertainment and the Arts, uh, Mike Fernandez. He was one who first pitched me on this idea of coming here. And uh, he at the time was running the theater program, hmm. and they've got a like a really good theater program. It's uh, it's it was really impressive. I've seen a lot of their shows, and um, and so the idea of you know most most film programs are based out of communications or broadcasting journalism, which is fine. But in hmm. my experience, you know, student films aren't bad because they don't know how to use a camera they're bad because the writing and the acting are terrible yeah. and so yeah. the thought of being around actors all the time and uh uh and cr- constantly collaborating with theater students was appealing and but as i was as i've been around it i've noticed that theater students aren't really like uh other students <laughs> they're like a breed apart and so this i went to come, high school i remember that yeah, yeah. you've been around them yeah. right um so yeah, so the the sitcom's called Drama Major, and it's uh, set in a. We decided to set it in a not very good college in a not very good theater program, and uh, it's like oh, got a little bit of maybe uh, School of Rock and Waiting for Guffman or something wow, like that. Wow, that's and, fantastic! Uh, yeah, yeah. So we shot the pilot, and it actually turned out really well. It was almost all students doing huh. it, but I brought in a few uh, SAG actors and uh, was able to talk a few friends into. Um, uh, heading up some of the departments, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's been one thing. And then finishing up a, a screenplay that uh, Mike, the the dean, and a, a become a really good friend had a idea for a political comedy that uh, I thought was like gold. So we uh, have written the script with uh, my friend Seth Worley, a, a filmmaker from Nashville, who's now in L.A., mm-hmm. and, uh, and we did a live reading of it uh, later last year, and. Instead of doing a table reading, we just start. We'll start with a live reading in front of an audience, and it it like it was good. Like nice. it really, it really worked. So hopefully, we'll get that uh, get that made sooner than later. Um, and you know, and I love teaching teaching the students too. Hmm. And uh, and the school the school hasn't been known for uh, 
necessarily a, uh, as a kind of an artist arts destination, mm-hmm. but they decided uh, they wanted to start a contemporary music program. Mm-hmm. And I said, nah, I don't think that's a good idea unless you get someone like Charlie Peacock to run it. And Charlie Peacock's now running that. Yeah, and, and you guys uh, share this building. We do, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is awesome. Started an animation program with um, hmm. Mike, uh, I'm sorry, um, Tom Bancroft is a Disney animator. I think his Lion King was the first thing he worked on oh my goodness. out of college. And so... Uh, there's a lot of good things happening now. Man, that's so this, this feels fertile. Feels like a it fertile is, yeah. place to you just know, make and, stuff. Yeah, and I started thinking about the the movies that I've made and they almost always have some kind of education plot hmm. or subplot. I, I mean, I loved being in college and uh generally like like this environment. So yeah. being in this environment is is I, I really like it. Man, that's yeah. so. Do you, you feel like you're going to be here for a while? I would think so. Yeah, it's probably I mean, an awkward question reason, to ask. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't see any reason. If I think if it was a, an environment where it's like you know all you're doing is teaching classes, that'd be one thing. But really, mm-hmm. they want me here making stuff and you know using the facilities and yeah the gear and and you can make a record when you want. You can make a movie. Right? Can, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a it's a really good environment, and you know I no longer have to self fund it either so that's nice that sounds nice right so let me ask i'll end with this question as some of these seasons have ended before you sort of walked into that next thing right um how did you handle some of those transitions were there ever moments of well i just suck at this or (laughs) uh or oh man it's gonna be great like some people i think maybe can carry that some people i think can deeply internalize when doors close when all of a sudden the things that were working stop working how do you handle how have you handled because you've gone through more of those transitions than probably a lot of people right is that a familiar sensation at this point of kind of leaving one role and moving to another um and what what is that before you kind of catch the get the wind in your sails in that next thing what's it like for you uh one huge thing is i have a wife who's uh extremely uh, understanding and supportive mm-hmm. and that part that's the easiest part to forget because I take that one for granted hmm. but that would none of this would have been possible without her uh, constant support and um, and understanding and frankly sense of adventure and mm. not and not needing uh, not ever saying you can't do this because we you know I love this house too much or, you know, <laughs> she's always up for, up for things. And so that's a, a huge yeah. thing. Um, the only, the only pivot that like, man, I was a really angry guy at the end of the record label. Hmm. I was, I was really ticked off. It felt like a, like a, uh, uh, there was, felt like there was so much injustice in it. Um, uh, and it, and I was angry about that for a long time. Um, and uh, that one now, looking back on it, uh, you know, running a record label, there were certainly, I, I, you know, I, I did a lot of things right, but that is not my, you know, being in board meetings and... Mm-hmm. Uh, doing financial projections and uh, all those things. That's not... Maybe not why you started writing songs. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> right. 
and I think for for you know probably people that are listening to this, um, there's a certain amount of this we just have to do because we have to do it. You know, yeah. we can't go through life even the the, the most successful artists unless you're like unbelievably lucky at hooking up with just the perfect manager or something like that, you really need to learn kind of the basics of how things work and uh, be able to answer questions about your own finances. And, mm-hmm. you know, you just can't go through life saying, I'm not interested in that. That That's going to catch up with you and, and bite you eventually. But at the same time, if business isn't your thing, you probably don't want to be in a position where you're, Running a business. Yeah, yeah, with a lot of people. I mean, I think on some level, all of us as creatives, we know that we are small business owners and we have to learn what's necessary, um, probably more so than it was 20 or 30 years Mm -hmm. ago. Uh, But uh, you also have to know ultimately what you're good at and and why you want to what you want to pursue and uh and and, and then ideally have small families <laughs> have, have as few kids as possible that's my other advice <laughs> what do you got like three i got three. three adorable kids yeah you know yeah i came from a family of three kids like uh, you know that's not really into my business but you know if you're really going to be a if you want to be an artist for all your life Aim low. Yeah. I wouldn't have too many kids. Either that or start a farm and get them all working. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, thanks, Steve. I appreciate it, man. Thank you, Andy. (laughs) Told you, that dude is a legend. Uh, Thank you so much, Steve, for hanging out with me. That was a blast. Also, thank you for the jam band for not being as loud as I thought you were. Um, I'm sure you guys were great. Uh, that's it for us today. Uh, I would love to hear from you guys. Tell me stories about your pivots. What, what's been going on in your life? Uh, also, if you've got suggestions for who we should have on here next season, please let me know. Uh, you can reach me at podcast at andrewosinga.com. Advertisers, you can hit us there as well. You can also head over to andrewosinga.com slash podcast to find other episodes and goodies. That's where you'll find my music, which is, of course, amazing. And um, <laughs> whatever. But uh, we've got all kinds of stuff up there for you. So head over there. Um, thank you for listening. Now go do something awesome.